Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. Today, I have the fantastically talented Mary-Kate Wiles with me. Thank you for bringing your uh, your brand of awesomeness to us today. <laughs> you are far too kind. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me to your brand of awesomeness. <laughs> oh, why, thank you. Thank you. Mutual Admiration <laughs> Society never gets old. But... <laughs> but um, so... I have to say that I'm, I'm always excited when I get a chance to speak to people that are not only somebody that helps to create new content as, as an actor, but also has their hands in multiple different levels, whether that be production crew or, or directing or whatever. And uh, I have to say your, your approach is, is really kind of right up my alley and I'm hoping it's <laughs> up a lot of people's alleys because it's just, Thank you. Um, one of the things that struck me is you've been doing this for a while. So you've, yeah. you've been active in, in a lot like since high school, right? What, what, how did you get your start in this? Yeah, sort of. Um, so I, yeah, I've been acting and performing since I was a kid. I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas originally. And I came out and I went to USC um, and studied theater and English lit there as well, actually, um, which I only mentioned because it has proved to be a lot more important in my career, um, having a literature degree than I ever could have imagined. Um, but I also think, you know, having a greater understanding of stories and what makes story work for any kind of storyteller, be it actor, writer, you know, producer, whatever, is not a bad thing. Um, yeah, and so then I kind of started acting um, I actually did my first feature film when I was still in college um, and it just kind of went from there. And I never thought when I started out as an actor for a while, I was like, oh, well, I don't, I just act like I don't make stuff. I don't <laughs> produce. And I don't know, I don't know where I got that idea. I mean, I think anybody who comes out of acting school could probably relate to the idea that you come out thinking that you're going to win an Oscar within like five years and you know you have these grand hopes for your career that soon after you find probably you're not going to be exactly what you had in mind um so yeah so it wasn't until later on um of course I I I did a lot of projects a lot of independent projects my first few years out of school and then I was cast in a show called the Lizzie Bennett Diaries which took off um yeah that was that impressive was in, yeah that was just none of us could have um foreseen what that show was going to be and it has shaped me and my career in such a huge way and i'm so thankful for it um and that was in 2012 so that's where sort of um i had done web series before that that wasn't like my first foray into the digital world at all but it was definitely the most impactful one and through that, I was able to, to gain, you know, an audience, which is amazing and I'm so thankful for. And um, through having an audience and just having that, like, blessing of having people who are ready and willing to watch what you want to make, that sort of, I think, encouraged me to start doing more producing. And at first, I didn't really like it because it's very difficult. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> It's not for the faint of heart, um, but uh, along the way, I found myself working with Shipwrecked Comedy, and um, I at first was just acting with them in a series called Kissing in the Rain, and 
through that, wouldn't you know, I fell in love with my co-star, Sean Prasad, who... <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you've seen that particular production, uh, that has some very interesting resonance, I would say. <laughs> yes. Uh, life started to imitate art a little bit. And um, so we started dating. And through that, I watched him because he is a writer, um, very much as much a writer as he is an actor. And so I watched him working on this script for Poe Party for Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party. And once he finally let me read it, which wasn't until it was finished, I thought it was the best script I'd ever read. I thought it was so, so good. And I knew that I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that it happened, that it got seen, because it just broke my heart to think that, that this wonderful script might not ever come to life and that people might not enjoy it. Um, and so it wasn't so much, I mean, it, there was a certain amount of like, I need to create stuff for myself because I, I did start a YouTube channel back during Lizzie Bennett and I started a Patreon around that time. So I was creating stuff for myself in terms of like, sort of behind the scenes videos. And I, I had like um, a talk show called Craftversations where I'd bring on different actors and we'd, we'd make crafts together and talk about the industry. But it wasn't until um, Poe Party specifically that I set out in terms of like, I want to help tell narratives and, uh, and, and be a producer in terms of making these narratives come to life. And, and again, that was very much out of like wanting to see someone else succeed and wanting to be able to help somebody else um, tell the stories that they that they wanted to tell. Obviously, I'm in Poe Party, so it's not uh -huh. like <laughs> it's not like it wasn't something that affected me as an actor at all. I'm I'm in it, and I'm in everything Shipwreck does. But it was also sort of a bigger sense of like I love this, and I want to help bring this to the world as opposed to just like. I, I want to play this role. Right. Which again, nothing wrong with that. But for me, it was, it was, it was that plus like, I want to see this team succeed. Well, and so producing content in, mm -hmm. traditionally in, in the industry, whether you're talking about television or movies has had a very set and static, mostly unchanging process for, yeah. for quite a long time. Producing yeah. web series, however, is yes. a different animal. How did you yes. tackle those challenges? I mean, that's a huge question. I think it's something, obviously, digital series are, I mean, they're still in some ways new and we're still like learning the ins and outs. I mean, again, with Lizzie Bennett, and again, I wasn't a producer on that project. I was just an actor, but it was a situation where all the actors were very much involved with, um, just sort of the creation of the show because all of our characters had social media accounts and um, we were shooting on an ongoing basis for a year. And so we would, we would see the scripts and give feedback. And it was, a, it, I don't mean to take away any from the brilliant writers on that show, but like they were very kind in letting us collaborate. Um, so, yeah. So even that was like such a new and different thing. And when, when that took off, it was just like, bizarre and exciting but also weird because you know in terms of like on on the production side as a SAG actor which I am you know there was only one like setting for web series it's like okay if you're in web series you're making a hundred dollars a day no matter if that's a web series that like two people see or 
millions and millions and millions of people see. Right. Um, so that definitely has gone through some growing pains in terms of like how to, because obviously when you are acting in TV, you're getting residuals every time something airs or commercials or whatever. And that's how a lot of actors obviously make their living. Um, and that is something that has had a lot of growing pains in terms of the digital community. And I think even still in terms of like, Netflix shows, I, mm. nobody quote me on this because I haven't done my research recently in terms of where we're at, but there was a, a time where like a Netflix show was the same as a web series. And it's yeah. like, that's like, that's crazy. Like, no, that has to be, have a different set of rules. So anyway, that was kind of answering your question more from the actor standpoint. Right. Um, but yeah, as a producer, it's been, it's been so eye-opening. I mean, obviously the stuff that we've done is, is still fairly low budget in in comparison to like you know indie movies that cost five million dollars like sure sure we're not anywhere close to that but it's been really enlightening to just sort of see um see how things work on the other side and, and things that you just can't quite understand as an actor until you are really like making out a budget and going mm -hmm. oh like toilet paper costs like we have to buy toilet paper you know like stuff that you would just never never think of so I think you know it's given me a lot more sort of respect as an actor and I think made me hopefully like an easier actor to work with because because you just you go into all the projects you do after that with just a lot more respect for what all the producers are having to do to to make it possible for you to have this job you know yeah well and talking about the lower budgets in some ways, isn't that kind of an advantage? There's a certain charm that you can yeah. get with with not having to worry about so much of, of some of the stuff that larger productions have to worry about. And yeah. you are tailoring your um, product to your specific audience, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. groups like uh, The Dead Gentleman uh, up in Seattle mm -hmm. do that with gaming-specific mm -hmm. kind of movies. And, and it seems to have... Um, it seems to be pretty successful. Um, how do you approach uh, when you're on the production side of it, uh, working with uh, whatever writers, how do you approach the creation of the content to maximize not only the, the impact that it can have on the intended audience, but also to try and grow that audience? How do you do that? That's such a good question. <laughs> um, um, I mean, again, like, uh, so with Shipwrecked, I am not one of the writers. Um, Sean and Sinead, Sean, my boyfriend, and his sister Sinead are our two main writers, and they've had a lot of success as writers, and I'm very proud of them and, and happy for them. And I sort of, uh, they're definitely like the creative brains, and I'm more the like logistical, like, let me email this person. Did you guys remember to follow up with this person? Have you guys written your pages this week? That's sort of my, my job. But what we do at Shipwrecked is we describe it as loosely literary, vaguely historical, stupidly smart comedy. So I like it. what we like, <laughs> thank you. What we like to do is weird. And we have been in many meetings here in, in Hollywood trying to sell our projects, which all for the most part are either period pieces or super kind of genre-y. Um, we have one pitch that's like a network sitcom, but even it has kind of a historical bend. Um, 
you know, that's what we like to do. And I can't tell you how many times we've been told that like that doesn't sell. Um, and that is really frustrating. But at the same time, we also go to other meetings where people go, oh, you guys are so different and interesting. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, so it's just like at the end of the day, yeah, some people are not going to want it and other people will like it, but not like it enough to like give you a million dollars to make it. But <laughs> well, we've, we, we've got this Pinto you can sell. Whatever you can get for the Pinto, that's your budget. Yeah, exactly. Um, but through making the stuff that we love, which I do think ultimately is the most important thing. And that's what I would tell, you know, anybody that's creating, starting out or, or not creating content, like you have to make stuff that you like and that feels true to you. And um, through doing that, we have managed to find a, you know, a smallish, but very engaged audience. And, you know, that's something that like, what Hollywood wants is constantly changing and nobody even really knows. I mean, no, they're throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you can't, not to say that it's not like worth having some ideas that are a little more marketable or whatever, but like at the end of the day, you have to be creating stuff that, that feels true to you and that, that you like. And I think that is what will bring, you know, your audience to the table and audience that will continue hopefully to like help you fund those projects. Cause that's what they want to see. And that has been our model so far. Um, so yeah. A lot of English jokes is what I'm hearing. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly so it's like, I don't know. I think we're always like, is this too inside baseball? Like are people even going to get into this? And, um, and you know, they do. So it's cool. Well, you know, as as a uh, a fellow English degreed individual, seeing something yeah. that uh, that plays on the the things that uh, I read because it was fantastic, uh, read because it was historical, read because they made me. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. nice to see that translated. I mean, a lot of a lot of people have poured a, a significant amount of effort and resources into translating these works that are pretty far removed from common parlance, from uh, topics that are necessarily a, a little antiquated, possibly, uh, mm -hmm. into something that is consumable today. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, like you're talking about, uh, I mean, Pride and Prejudice, how many, how many people knew it was based on Pride and Prejudice or who right. found out after the fact? Right. Um, yeah. It, what about that kind of drives you? What's, what's, what's some of the interesting components when you're, when you're approaching a project that has that kind of origin to, to make it resonate today? Um, yeah, gosh, your questions today are killing it. These are great questions. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I set out to like um, be a part of these projects or continue to create projects that have been so like inspired by literature. But I think just being who I am and having studied literature and loving stories in the way that I do, like I, I guess I've just sort of attracted those projects and and the people that also are like-minded in that way, um, you know, cause I, I saw the casting notice for a Pride and Prejudice inspired web series. And I went, oh, 
I've seen that movie a thousand times and read the books, read the book multiple times. And I love Lizzie Bennett and like, yeah, I want to audition for that. Um, and I think just the popularity of that series, which again, like I grew up loving Jane Austen and I, I dressed up as Eleanor Dashwood in sixth grade for Halloween. Nice. Um, so like grade A nerd from the beginning over here, even I was totally shocked and amazed by how much people love Jane Austen and how hungry they were for sort of this brand new telling of this very well-known, very much adapted over and over and over story. Um, and that I think is, I don't know, there's something to me that's so, it's the same with like Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. Um, I just love that, that there's something about these, these stories that have resonated and continue to resonate with us throughout history. And I mean, ultimately like storytelling is such a human like thing. We just, we can't help but tell stories to each other. And the fact that we can continue to play with classic literature and make it fun and new and engaging um, for a new audience is, I don't know, it's exciting. And it just, it to me, like just makes me feel connected to this larger like human experience and, and history of like, telling these stories and and telling them in ways that are new and, and modern to whichever, you know, audience is, is taking them in, I guess. Sure. What is one of your favorite works of literature that you feel is overdue for, that is overdue. Yeah, for an update or a, a, maybe it's first introduction into the televised mediums? That's a great question. I... I confess I need to, I talk so much about literature and I wish I had more time to go back. I would like to like go back and reread things that I haven't read, you know, since college, like books that I loved in college um, or high school that I say like, oh, this is my favorite book, but I haven't actually read it in a while. Um, to that end, I love David Copperfield. It is my favorite. Good Dickens choice. is my favorite author. Yeah. I think his characters like are so <laughs> yes um his characters are just so full and so bright and so vibrant and I think that reading him as a young person was part of what made me want to be an actor and and create characters that similarly were so fun and I loved David Copperfield and I'm so very excited for the movie with Dev Patel which I haven't seen yet um but it looks fantastic yeah. and all about that casting I think that's so awesome <laughs> um but uh, also coming to mind that uh, your question is I loved Lord of the Flies when I first read it. Nice. And it feels particularly relevant these days. I don't know what you're talking um, about. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading it and seeing it like so visually cinematically in my brain going like, ooh, if I ever directed something, I might direct this. Although I, I truly don't think it's in the cards for me to ever direct. Um, but um, that could be an interesting update to see for sure. That would be that would be interesting. Um, the only concerns I ever have with with things like that, even if it resonates because of our our current climate, is the sometimes less than optimistic <laughs> endings that a lot of these yeah. these works have. That's totally fair. Are you ever concerned um, about? how sometimes some of these these works might end up affecting um affecting people in a way that they might go well that was such a downer 
now I don't really want to read the the original or whatever. Sure. That's such a great question. Man, you're killing it. This this is such a wonderful discussion. I think, uh, I guess that just makes me think of like how at Shipwrecked, our main character that we play with is Edgar Allan Poe. And (laughs) I mean, talk about a sad guy. Just a coach. Talk about a sad guy. Yeah, but we but we're a comedy group and we've managed to make him, I think, very fun and funny, which and I, I can't take any credit for that. That's due to our writers and to Sean, who I think plays him so brilliantly. But um yeah, I mean, that's totally true. And obviously, like these themes of sort of uh, things that are darker and and more depressing are things that have been with us for as long as we've been telling stories. And I think that has what, part of what drew me to Shipwrecked in the first place and also is is fun to do with the work that we do is like, not saying that like everything serious has to be given a silly spin by any means. And I think Sean and Sinead have a lot of reverence for for Poe and for his works, but I don't know, just bringing some levity to things sometimes can make it a little more enjoyable and bearable and, and allow us to sort of look at things in a different light and I don't know, keep it fun, I guess. Make I it, make it more palatable, more acceptable. Yeah. A spoon, yeah, exactly. spoonful of sugar for the uh, spoonful yeah. of tax that are about to yeah. come <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, a lot of what you do is is uh, very meta. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you, there's kind of that um, relationship, it feels, that the, the production of, of the project has where you're trying to have, it's, it's not breaking the fourth wall necessarily, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's just shy of that in order mm-hmm. to try and provoke kind of, uh, is it trying to provoke a feeling of, of participation or familiarity? What, what is the, the kind of intent on that aspect? I, that's a great question. I don't know that I necessarily have an answer for you. I, that's definitely more of a Sean and Sinead question, but you're completely right. And even in like, um, our film noir that we did that we hope to do more of, uh, the case of the Gilded Lily, there's like, we play with the internal monologues and characters talk to each other through their internal monologues, which doesn't make any sense, but they have conversations in their heads, stuff like that. That's really just sort of like, I think taking, um, yeah, taking certain things about these genres and really just taking them as far as we can go with them and making them fun and, and uh, making, I guess, the audience think about how they're used um, both in this and in other things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, we have been so, um, like I said before, just like uh, lucky to find such a, a wonderful and interactive audience and engaged audience. And um, it's been a while. I mean, Poe Pretty was in 2016. So it's been a while since we've done like a full-fledged series. We thought we were going to do one this year. <laughs> and Surprise. Yeah, that did not happen. Yeah. Um, but we usually try to have some sort of interactive component with our audience to sort of allow them to to not necessarily make the series their own, but like make it feel more fun and alive for them and and individual for them. And obviously that's not something that everybody watching has to take part in, but if, if they want to, they can. Um, and that, I don't know, that, going back to like making, making, 
stories for the digital space, like that's what I think is so wonderful about this space is that there is such a kind of communal back and forth between audience and creators. And that's obviously that does exist to a certain extent with like Marvel movies or TV or like, you know, going to cons and whatever. But when you're putting stuff out on the internet and you can immediately have people commenting on it or making fan art or um, tweeting at you about it and you're able to sort of like engage with them. Um, yeah, it's very fulfilling, I think, as a, as a artist to know like, cool, like people, you know, whether or not they enjoy it, but people are watching, people are engaging with it. And right. like all the work that I've done is being seen and being appreciated in one way or another. And well, that's it really feels cool. personal, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you see a big budget Hollywood film, it's, is it going to be polished? More often than not, sure. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, every single detail has been uh, looked over and stressed over and they have a very specific um, marketing plan that they have. This is what we want this to be. But it mm -hmm. feels a lot like um, a lot of times I'm buying a Big Mac. Every, <laughs> every Big Mac is the same in every yeah. location. You either like it or you don't. And ultimately, we don't really care. Mm -hmm. But the web series, because of that more targeted audience and because mm -hmm. of the, the way that it is composed, it feels like it, more like it's your own. Maybe it's mm -hmm. that, that feeling of ownership that creates that bond from the, mm -hmm. the viewer to, to your work. Yeah, very much so. And yeah, it just goes back to what I was saying before about making what you like. And yeah. because there are so many people on the internet, like somebody else is going to like it too, you know, and yeah. that's, that's cool. Well, that's and how exciting. can they not like your stuff? Because it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, right? Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I had to ask about this. I've seen quite a few things that you have been a part of, but I, I, I saw one that I was not as familiar with that hmm. seemed rather kind of um, partially pertinent for, for today's conversation. And it seemed mm -hmm. like a ridiculous concept and I want to know more. The, okay. The inside the extras studio. I had a feeling that's what you were about to say. <laughs> I was like, what could this be? <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about that because it looks silly and fun. Yeah, it's very fun. So you haven't watched any episodes? Not yet. That's Great. moving up that, my list. That is totally okay. Just trying to figure out what to say about it. Um, it's very fun. It's very silly. Um, Barry Bostwick is the star of, of this series. And he plays kind of a, you know, inside the actor studio guy. But it's about extras. It's about background as opposed to actors. Not that background aren't actors, but a different kind of acting. Right. Um, and so... Uh, I came in as a part of the show for the second season. There was a, a first season that I was not a part of. And then I did the second season and a lot of my friends came on and were a part of it as well. And through that, I met Doug Jones, who is such an incredible actor. My who, hero. Yeah. You know, has just been every monster in every movie ever. And he is so lovely. He was a guest on one of the episodes playing like a zombie extra, um, they're, the episodes are really quick, really short, very silly, and just sort of play with the idea of like, what if this super uber serious show about acting was about background <laughs> acting? Um, and we actually shot a third season, um, second season for me, third season for the show, um, back at the beginning of 2019, yes. Um, and it has yet to come out yet, but it was really fun and I look forward to it. There are a lot of fun guest stars as well. 
So yeah, it's a fun one. That seems like one of those one of those things, uh, kind of approaching like a, a between two ferns sort of a, yes. a feel yes. that yes. that people would want to be a part of because it is so ridiculous in concept and uh, yes it's I'm, very much kind of that vibe it's a little goofier and less cringy than between two ferns <laughs> i think but i in terms of like the act i don't know some people don't really get into that like super awkward humor yeah. i think between two ferns is really fun um but yeah it's it's very much of that ilk so this group that you're a part of you know mm-hmm. I, I was um speaking to somebody about this this earlier and these relationships that you kind of create throughout uh, working in the industry over a certain amount of time you tend to often work with the same producers same directors uh, other actors what is something of these relationships that you have made with these people that has really um, had an impact on you that's uh, been a part of your life that you appreciate Oh man. I mean, I think everything I often talk about how my life would be completely different if I hadn't been in the Lizzie Bennett diaries, like it just would be completely different. And Lizzie Bennett is not what I mean in terms of like my, um, my creative circle now, although a lot of Lizzie Bennett people are still in my creative circle. Um, but because of that, you know, somebody saw me and I got asked to be in kissing in the rain. And because of kissing in the rain, I fell in love with Sean. And because of that, you know, like just, it's so crazy how one thing leads to another in this industry, especially, and I'm sure any industry, but because you're so often working on different projects with different people and you just sort of never really know um, what will lead to the next thing. Um, But yeah, through that, like over the past five years or so, um, through like me becoming a part of Shipwrecked and also working with the Tin Can Brothers who are the producers on Wayward Guide, my new series, um, who are my dear, dear friends. Um, We've just sort of managed to amalgamate these like groups of creative um, friends and collaborators who um, like to work together as much as we can. And I think a lot of that also comes out of a lot of us are actors um, and acting just sucks. It's so hard um, at the end of the day. I mean, it's full of wonderful things. And this theme of, of, of sort of shining a light on what it actually means to be an actor has been big for me in terms of my own personal like um, brand is not the word, but what I put out into the world, I try and be very honest about about that. And I think a lot of my uh, creative collaborators would agree. And, and through the like sort of drudgery of going to auditions over and over and over again, and obviously like not booking so many things, like booking a few things here and there, like you just sort of want to have some control over what you are putting out into the world and like and through that you want to give your friends jobs because like I look at people like Joey Richter, Lauren Lopez who I think are so brilliant like just some of the best actors I've ever met and ever worked with and like why aren't they on a tv show like that it's just ridiculous and they have like a huge following to boot so like it's just it makes no sense to me so like i think and i think we all feel that about each other um and so it's really 
satisfying to be able to, you know, create jobs for each other and write roles for each other that we think um, the person, this person will be really great at and, and will kill and, and they do. And, and so it's, I don't know, I'm really thankful for it. And I think it is hard to find sometimes. I think, you know, I've worked with people in the past that I thought maybe they were my people and it ended up not working out that way. And that's okay. It just kind of like takes a little while to find who you work best with. And, um, and I'm sure, you know, our group dynamics will continue to ebb and flow as hopefully people get bigger jobs and, um, and whatever, but it's, it's really nice to be able to, to create stuff and, and consistently like be amazed and proud at what each other are creating, like seeing, um, the Tin Can Brothers put together a show and be like, that's awesome. I'm so proud of them. Um, I'm so excited to like share this work that my friends did, you know, with the world, that feeling it's, it's cool. I'm very thankful that we have that. Yeah, that 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 kind of feeling of um, family is yeah. is is hard to come by sometimes, and uh, yeah. and uh, holding on to that as much as possible is is important. And you see it when when you yeah. watch the projects. I mean, you can tell when two individuals have worked together for a while and that, that trust each other and can work off of each other. And it's just it's just. It's, it's a nice kind of subtext level that you can see mm-hmm. on any given yeah. project. Yeah, So sure. tell me about um, the, the Wayward Guide, because this mm-hmm. looked like kind of uh, an, an interesting, I don't want to say divergence, because it's not really divergence. It takes kind of that core nerdy fun element that, that you have, yeah. but it kind of adds something to it. What, what's, what is it? Yeah, so... Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye is an upcoming series and podcast from the Tin Can Brothers. <laughs> um, and in it, I play Artemis, uh, who is a tenacious podcast reporter. And along with her brother, Paul, played by Steve Zaragoza, um, they get a little more than they bargain for when they uh, head to the small town of Connor Creek to investigate some strange happenings. Um, and like I said, this is a Tin Can Brothers project. Um, they are very good friends of mine. I worked with them first back in 2016. Um, we did a musical called Spies Are Forever. I have the poster right here behind me, um, a stage musical. And it uh, it was so fun. And they've put it up online since. And it's it's gained quite a following since then. We actually were supposed to do a like, reunion concert this mm-hmm. summer in New York. And the tickets sold out instantly. Um, but then, of course, that did not happen. But hopefully someday we'll be able to do that. Um, so I have a history of working with them. This was their first um, like long-form series that they were embarking on uh they do a lot of sketch comedy um and and shorts and um and and that sort of thing but this was kind of their first big series that they were embarking on and they were kind enough to to ask me to play artemis um i love what they're doing with this because there's the regular you know episodes and then we also have podcast episodes in between so you are getting the in-world podcast that Artemis and Paul are making nice. um, in the show. And it allows, there's there's so many um, fun 
weird characters in this show um and it sort of allows all those characters to breathe a little bit as well and like we get to we get to find out more about them in the podcast which is really fun um but yeah there, there's a supernatural slant to it it's um it's very goofy it's very silly but it's also very fun and mysterious and it was fun for me to sort of play the uh straight woman with all these wild characters around me um, <laughs> they have the most I, fun yes they do and but i just get to sort of react <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm really excited. I'm excited for people to see it. And we actually shot the series back in 2017. So it's been a little while. Um, and we recorded the podcast this summer. Um, but of course, now it's great that, that during this time where nobody's really been able to make any new series, they, they, have, they have this thing ready to go finally. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always been a, a fan of the straight man. I mean, ever since uh, I grew up on a lot of the uh, the black and white stuff. So, you know, watching the Marsh Brothers without Zeppo, yeah. their material doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> It just yeah, kind of falls apart. Yeah, you got to have somebody that's kind of like absorbing all of the, the craziness that's happening around. Um, now, you've been... You've been kind of on, you know, talked a little bit about having a lot of these projects have this kind of uh, English influence mm -hmm. uh, the, and the mm -hmm. historical influence. But it's not just that. I've also, I saw something that you were in that required a certain amount of makeup and, uh, okay. and a certain amount of, of uh, holding of baseball bats and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, okay, yeah, uh -huh. I'm not getting into it. So, so I, of course, I'm talking about the, the, the rap battle uh, where, <laughs> yeah. where, you, where you got to be Harley Quinn. Are you a comic book fan or did you just kind of happen into that? Oh, uh, oof. I'm afraid my answer is not. Uh, I, I'm not a huge comic book fan. I'm so sorry to disappoint anybody. Um, I do have, my boyfriend is, and I do love comic book movies. Um, I, I am a little more of a Marvel fan than a DC fan. Winner. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoy the Marvel movies quite a bit. I haven't seen all the DC movies. I loved Wonder Woman, obviously. That was good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but as with Harley, I actually had voiced her before for, um, like a little, um, show a little animated show that i had done a few years ago so i had some experience with um that voice and that character although obviously this particular project was for birds of prey right so i at once was like trying to match a little more what margot robbie does although i haven't seen at that i mean when we were shooting this birds of prey wasn't out yet so i mm -hmm. hadn't seen the movie um but at the same time, like kind of just doing my own my own take as well. And my my dear friend Whitney Avalon, who makes the rap battles that are wildly successful on YouTube, was kind enough to ask me to come play for this one, and it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, maybe that'll lead into some some other comic booky stuff. And you say you've watched the Marvel movies, and you've got uh, your your boyfriend is into it, so that means that yeah. you've gotten at least. Uh, the toe in the water of, of oh, comics. Yeah. So I always ask this question that kind of doesn't really mean anything. If you could play a comic character, any comic character, who would it be? Um, a great question. And I would, 
I would love to play any comic character. Marvel can call me at any time. Actually, <laughs> I, I suppose this is a good time to mention. You you may have already known this, but I, I did voice a character in Ultimate Spider-Man a few yeah. years ago on Disney XD. I um, a little Mysterio action. Yes, indeed. Yes, I played Mysterio's daughter. And I did have to have Sean explain to me who Mysterio was at the time when I booked it. But now I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I know. Um, I think, ooh, going with just like what I've seen and like what we've experienced thus far, I would choose Scarlet Witch. I'm also very excited for WandaVision. It looks great. That, that, uh, I'm quite excited about that too. It, there yeah. was a, they actually did a comic that it, it feels, uh, it's drawing very heavily, uh, stylistically from. And That's I, awesome. I'm kind of I'm I'm geeked about that one. Scarlet Witch is an excellent uh, excellent choice. Uh, if you ever get the uh, chance, uh, if if he is a fan, uh, ask him to give you the uh, Avengers Disassembled. Um, mm. That is centric around uh, that character, and okay, it progresses into a rather interesting series of events that cause two different large scale crossover events. So oh my it's, goodness. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's some good stuff. That sounds um, great. Now, the other thing that you can tell them is like, I always like to, I do my casting. And, and if I were to put you in a particular role, who would I put you yes. in? So tell him that I thought you would be an excellent Hope Summers. Now, Summer. Hope Summers is the daughter of Cyclops and Jean Grey okay. from the X-Men. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, a very interesting character that has a, a, a complex history. and He'll uh, know. He loves X-Men. And yeah. I'll take that. I <laughs> don't know much about her, but it sounds great. And I do enjoy the X-Men uh, stories as well. So. Yeah. The comics are, are, are really being, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm, I'm sure to a certain extent everybody is. I mean, they're, they're being really mined at this point. Yeah. I'm just kind of hoping that people don't get burnt out on, on that sort of thing. I mean... Again, like, I, I don't know. I come at it without a lot of, like, background knowledge or, like, I haven't I haven't read the comics, so I don't feel like I can always have as, like, informed a, an opinion about the movies. But as a casual, somewhat casual viewer, I mean, I saw Endgame three times, I think, in theaters. Like, I think what they, especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what they've managed to do is just unbelievable and from a storytelling perspective it's incredible that they make continue to make all these movies and like yeah sure some are better than others but um the way that the story has progressed across like all these different stories and like it's it's incredible it was truly like such an amazing thing to watch and enjoy well that actually brings up an, an interesting question on its own um theaters are super important for these these tentpole movies that uh, everybody loves what do you think is going to happen with the way things are are going how are we going to edge edge into a reality where we can still have that tentpole event and yeah. not uh, I'm not saying cut out the movie theater because I love the movie theater experience but what would you do being involved with these web series? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> but how would I, you I, solve the problem? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And it is sad. It's a real bummer. I know 
in this household, like we've been really missing the um, just experience of going to a movie. And that is, again, talking about like a communal like thing for humanity, like that's like going to the movies or theater, um, you know, is such a, a thing that we just love to do as people. And it makes me really sad that we are losing that. I mean, I hope that in some way or another, we'll be able to return to some amount of that next year. Um, and I think probably we will, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what this means in terms of like um, how movies are gonna get released in the future. Um, we're doing a, like a drive-in premiere for wayward guide next week which will be fun um that would i'm be glad cool. bring back the drive-ins <laughs> yeah i mean i think they're trying but it's also like i haven't seen tenant yet um sean's very excited to see it uh but i had a friend that went and saw it I, bringing it up as it's like kind of the only movie that's come out in any way recently and he, my friend that saw it was like yeah it's great but it's like it's not a movie that you're supposed to see at a drive-in you know it's like it, you kind of miss that like being surrounded by by something with some of these movies that are a lot more visceral in that way um and to that effect um sean my partner is in mank david fincher's new movie that the trailer just dropped for yesterday and a that's so exciting and amazing but it like it just sucks that like we're not able to like go see it in a theater and like have this fun experience of like yay this movie is out and and all that comes along with that so i'm not answering your question at all i'm just commiserating that, that is just fine I, I don't expect answers i just ask questions and see where the conversation goes i yeah i don't i don't know i hope that we're able to hold on to some amount of like a communal experience of like yay this thing is out and we're all seeing it um you know like yeah remember going to see like i mean we went to see you know Endgame and infinity war at midnight and like all that that's so fun and missing that so much and i don't know we've got to find some way to recreate that if if we don't get back the whole movie experience as it was yeah. Before. So long as recreating it doesn't involve charging people 40 to $50 a, a hit to see it on the streaming service. It can be a little excessive, I agree. Lord. Uh, I agree. This makes me want to pull my hair out. It's like, I understand you got to make some money, but come on, people. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, it's a little much sometimes. I agree. <sighs> okay, so how about an off-the-wall question that has no depth to it uh, <laughs> Not really, but I wonderful. But nor, normally, I have my co-host here, uh, who unfortunately could not be here for the interview. But no this problem. is one he usually handles because he is eminently and inexorably uh, tied to food. So, being <laughs> being a, a pudding titled a podcast, um, sure, sure, sure. Uh, we we go with pizza. Uh, uh, are you a New York or Chicago style pizza, or something completely different? Well, I have a caveat to this question, uh -oh. and that's that I am unfortunately gluten-free, not by choice. Um, yeah, so it's been a while since I've had a pizza that was like, oh, not the gluten-free pizza. It's not real pizza, but it's not really like real pizza. <laughs> Um, I never was much of a deep dish person, so I guess I'm more of a New York pizza gal. That's but always a good choice. Easier to eat. 
Yeah. At this point, like any pizza, if it's good, because like I said, finding good gluten-free pizza is sometimes a challenge. Uh, it's very exciting. So I'll take any pizza. <laughs> yeah. A lot of experimentation, I take it, that goes yes. on. <laughs> it's getting the first few years that I was eating it uh, years ago. I was like, I had a long way to go, but we're, we're getting better. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely good. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So. One one final just off the off the wall um, uh, off the wall question. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about you watching some uh, some television and movies and things like that. There. But what is uh, a lot of a lot of actors don't have a lot of time to watch television or whatever. What is when you have the time that one show that is your comfort show that just makes you feel good when you watch it. I appreciate you acknowledging that a lot of actors don't have time to watch TV because that's something that I really felt for a long time and I'm always embarrassed. <laughs> like, uh, although I've gotten, I, I'm very type A and I sometimes have a hard time letting myself relax. Um, even though watching TV is part of my job, so it shouldn't just feel like relaxing. But anyway, I've gotten better at it. But to answer your question, Parks and Recreation is my favorite show of all time. And it is, I think, the best comedy and it's so well done and so heartwarming and so um yeah it's just such a feel-good comedy that that is absolutely my comfort show i can't even tell you how many times a little ron swanson <laughs> yes so <laughs> every single character on that show is so good and so specific and so well acted oh it's i truly aspire and dream to be in a show like that someday well, we, we, we can definitely hope because clearly you have the, the chops, the acting chops to be able to pull it off. It's just a matter of time. That's that's the way I look at it. Thank you. I hope so. But uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me today. And Absolutely. I, I really loved having you on. And hopefully we'll be able to do this again in, in the future and talk about some of, other, some of the other upcoming projects you will have as they as things go back to normal a little bit and, and we get some new stuff. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. This has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. And of course, putting people, don't forget to, uh, to take a listen and a look because there are going to be multiple parts to Wayward Guide for the Untrained Eye. And mm -hmm. of course, uh, she is all over social media as we are. What is your handle on uh, the social media? Yeah, you can find me at MK Wiles on Twitter and Instagram. Those are my main spots, but I'm on I'm on the other ones as well. Fantastic. And uh, thank you again, and just have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much. You as well.